Good morning. It's really good to be back with you guys. Um, if you've got a Bible, open to Second Samuel chapter 7. Rich already introduced me, so I won't say much more, but I will just take a moment to thank both Rich and Ron Hemingway. They have served on the temporary session, which is the oversight committee for uh, Hope Community Church, which is a church plant in Cane Bay. They've given their time and their effort, their energy, their care uh, to build the church in Cane Bay. So thank you, guys. Um, God is at work there in Cane Bay. And actually, there's a church right now worshiping there that was not there a year ago. So praise God. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 18 this morning. Uh, And this text is hugely important. The Bible has all kinds of stories, all kinds of different different things happening, but in this passage, God pulls back the curtain and he shows us his heart. He says, this is my heart for my people. So we're going to look at this, uh, starting in verse 1 there. This is God's historically accurate word. Let's see what God has to teach us this morning. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel... Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, 
with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you did not leave us wandering on this earth without guidance, without gospel from our maker. Lord, I pray now that you would drive away distractions. Lord, you know that each of us carries many burdens, anxieties, fears, concerns. Lord, I pray that we would put those aside for a moment now so that we could hear from you, our maker, our God, our friend, our redeemer. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Purify my lips and open our hearts so that we would hear from you, that we would know you better. We long to know you, Lord. Be at work this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I was in a food court in the mall. I was meeting with a friend. We were just getting lunch. We were talking about life talking about faith, about failures, about sins, things we were struggling with. It was just a good uh, brotherly conversation amongst Christian brothers. And we were probably half an hour into this conversation in in a public food court when someone who was sitting at an adjacent table just apparently had been listening to us, and he interjected himself into the conversation. Um, He starts sharing about his life. He starts sharing about his own struggles. He apparently had been eavesdropping, and he was interested uh, in the sincerity of our conversation, how sincere we were being with one another. And he, he wanted in on it. And as he shared, um, we'll call his name Jim, that wasn't really his name, but as Jim shared, it was clear that he was really an ambitious young guy. He was very ambitious. He had hopes and dreams for his future. Uh, and when I, when I say ambitious, I don't mean, um, I mean ambition in the sense of like 2020 ambition. We're talking about internet ambition, YouTube, um, Instagram, social media. He wanted to make a name for himself on the internet. So I, I just got more and more curious as he talked, what, what's driving this guy? Why is he so, why does he want to make a name for himself so badly? So I just asked him, I said, Jim, what? What's motivating you? What is driving you? And he kind of got quiet, and he looked at us, and he said, about a year ago, I got in a car wreck, and the doctor and all the people said, you should have died. There's no reason that we can tell you, there's no good reason we can give you that you're alive today. And he said, after that experience, I promise myself, I will make a name for myself. I will leave a legacy on this earth. This conversation with Jim 
left an impact on me. It really stuck with me. And the truth is, most of us, we want to be remembered for something. We want to know that the story of our lives will be a good one. It'll be one worth telling. In our passage today, as God speaks to King David, speaks to this very heart desire, our desire to make a legacy, to leave a name for ourselves. And if you're a Christian, then it answers this question, which you see printed in your bulletin, what is your legacy? And I think maybe there's an outline in there, I don't remember. But if there is, the first point you'll see is that your legacy is beloved. Your legacy is that you are beloved. Let's look at our passage, starting in verse 1. Now, when the king, uh, that's King David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Now, remember, Israel has been, they've gone through all kinds of stuff. They've been in slavery in Egypt. They've come out of slavery. They've been in the period of the judges. And now, finally, they have a king on the throne. He's united the 12 tribes. Their enemies are defeated. And David finally has rest. And the people of God have rest. Look at verse 2. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So here's David. He's sitting securely on his throne. And he looks and he sees that God's dwelling place, his ark, lives in a tent. And he says, look, this is not right. It's not right that I have a fancy place to live. Meanwhile, the ark is stuck in a tent. Look at verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Nathan, like any reasonable pastor, he's all for a church-building campaign. He says, yeah, David, go get it done. Whatever you want to do, go do it. But look at how God responds in verse 4. Look at what God says. That very night, In verse 4, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Would you build me a house to dwell in? God is asking a rhetorical question. This is common in the Old Testament in the language of Hebrew to ask a question in order to make a point. He's not actually asking a question. He's, He's making a statement. He's saying, if I wanted you to build me a temple, I would have asked. God says no. He says no to David's request to build a temple. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, starting in verse 8. There's a, there's a shift that takes place where God is no longer answering that question. He's actually telling us something. He's, he's saying, first he says no to David, and then he moves to tell us and to tell David, here is my heart. Here is my heart for you, David. So look at this. Switch in verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
I took you from the pasture. Remember, this is David, the shepherd. From following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. God is looking back on David's life and and notice who the, the key player is. Notice who the actor is as God summarizes David's life. He says, I took you. I was with you. I defeated your enemies. I will make a name for you. In response to David's request to build a temple, God looks at him and says, David, I am the one working for your good, not the other way around. You see, David is a doer. Right? David is a guy who gets stuff done. Remember, he, he's killed lions and, and wild animals protecting sheep. He's united the 12 tribes of Israel. He's led military campaigns. He's a warrior. This is the guy who they sung about. He's killed his tens of thousands. Can you imagine people singing that about you? He secured the ark in Jerusalem. And so David thinks, naturally he thinks, okay, what's next? I've done all these things, God. What would you have me do next? But God responds. He responds so tenderly, so lovingly, like a father. And he says, that is not what this relationship is about. David, this is not about what you can do for me. This is about what I am going to do and have done for you. As if to say, David, your legacy is not that you have done great things for God. Your legacy is one for whom God has done great things. Imagine, imagine if you have a five, imagine you have a five-year-old daughter. And Christmas is around the corner. And you would expect her to be excited about Christmas. Presents, family, fun. But you go to her and she's, she's not excited at all. In fact, she's anxious. She's nervous. She's, she's really anticipating. She's getting stressed out about Christmas. So you say, what's going on, sweetheart? She says, dad, mom, mom is just so awesome. I want to get her something good. I want to get her something amazing, something that's going to blow her socks off. So you say, okay, well, how much money do you have? How much money do you have, sweetheart? She said, well, I got the 50 cents of allowance that you gave me last week. He's like, well, that's that's not going to get mom much, but she's going to love anything you get her. Whatever you get her, she'll love. And she stomps her feet, slams her door and says, Christmas is ruined. If I can't get mom something Wonderful, something amazing, Christmas is ruined. What would you say to her? You would look at her and say, sweetheart, that is not what Christmas is about. But we give gifts at Christmas, not because we want something from you, but because we love to lavish gifts on you because we love you. Sadly, this is how we relate to God, isn't it? 
we get stuck thinking, like David, we get stuck thinking that what God wants from us most is the work that we can do for him. In Acts chapter 17, Paul says this, he says, But God, who made the world and everything in it, is not served by human hands as though he needs anything. If you've ever been in ministry, you know this to be an especially big temptation. Personally, I'll say I've been in one form of vocational ministry for or another for seven years now. And it's easy to start to relate to God like a taskmaster. I've gone here, God. I've done this. I'll do that. What's next? What is next? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Recognize that many, and maybe even you, have believed a lie that is keeping you from the good news of the gospel. The lie that becoming a Christian is is something like clocking into work at the coal mine. It's just, it's brutal. You get paid nothing, almost nothing and you're dirty, you're filthy, it's no fun at all. But that's a lie. Jesus is calling you into a relationship with him. He is not concerned about what he can get from you, but about what he can save you from. This is why Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Christians, brothers and sisters, you have sacrificed many things to follow Jesus. Indeed, he calls us to do hard things. He, you have taken seriously Jesus' command to take up your cross and follow him. Many of you have given your time your money, thousands of dollars to build his kingdom? You've given your hands for service on missions trips in this church and other churches, educating his people, working to build his kingdom? And you've been rejected? Some of you have been rejected by this world because of your obedience to Christ. You've lost Jobs, friends, family. And this, all of this matters. Your work matters. And God is pleased by your obedience. But do not get it twisted. Do not confuse the relationship that we have with God. Don't think that God is more concerned with the productivity he can squeeze out of you than he is with pouring out his love on you. Do you see that in this passage? Don't think that God is more concerned with the work he can get out of you than he is with having a genuine relationship with you. Christian, this is your legacy. And it is not 
defined by what you have done. It is not. But by who God says you are, beloved. Your legacy is not defined by what you have done, but by what God has done for you. Do you see that? Do you see him saying that to David? If you haven't had your tombstone made yet, this is a great option for what you can put on there. You can get it carved out today as a believer, and you can write, here lies, blank, fill in your name, the one who God has set his love upon, the one for whom God has done great things. That's your legacy. And this brings us to point two in your outline. You see, something something amazing happens when you embrace this legacy for your life. Something freedom-giving, life-giving happens. When the story of your life is about what God has done for you, when the story of your life is about who God says you are, your legacy is secure. Look there at verses 9 through 14. Eight times in these verses, God is going to say what he will do. And God, if you, if you look here at these verses, God is making some big promises to David. Let's just read a few of these. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Eight times, God says, I will do this. I will make a great name for you. I will give you rest. I will give you an offspring. I will establish his kingdom. I will build your house. If you know um, the story of David well, uh, this may be a shocking thing. We're reading this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And you may know that in just four chapters, King David will commit some of the most famous, some of the most infamous and heinous sins recorded in the Bible. He will set eyes on a married woman, Bathsheba, He will take her as his own, attempt to cover his sin, have one of his best friends, one of his mighty men, murdered to cover 
what he did. And God, he's making these promises to David. But God who stands outside of time, does he not? He stands outside of time. He's aware of all of this that's coming in just four chapters. And I want to ask God, I just want to, I want to say, don't you want to add some contingencies into these promises? Don't you want some clauses in there? As long as you don't abuse your power, murder people, etc. What if David turns out to be kind of a dirtbag? What if he takes another man's wife? What if he abuses his power? We want those contingencies, but God knows. And God goes on to make good on every one of these promises. First, he'll fulfill these promises through Solomon, David's son born to no other than Bathsheba. Look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. These verses are fulfilled in Solomon and the rest of this book and into First and Second Kings. Solomon, as you know, is blessed by God. He builds a temple. He reigns over Israel during a time of peace and rest. And he goes on to say, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him. And Solomon, as you know, he takes many wives and turns his heart away from God. And like a father, God disciplines him, but his steadfast love never changes. So these promises are fulfilled in Solomon, but they're ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Look at verse 16. He says, Your throne shall be established forever. If you fast forward a thousand years to the New Testament, in the first book, in the first chapter, in the first verse of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, it says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David. And Matthew is saying, you see what Matthew's saying? He's saying, David's son is here. God's promise is fulfilled. And the point of all this is that despite David's sins and failures, his legacy is secure. You see, David messed up, he sinned. But God didn't. David messed up, but God did not. Christian, whatever happens to your reputation here on earth, your legacy as beloved by God is secure. Because it's not about you. It's about what God is doing. We struggle to believe this, don't we? So how can you, how can you know that your legacy is secure? You ask this question, what, what did God sacrifice? What did God give up in order 
to get you? What did God give up in order to get you, to secure you? What was God willing to pay? Well, how, how do you know how much someone wants something? It's simple. You ask, how much are they willing to pay for it? What are they willing to give up to get it? What will they sacrifice in order to obtain this one thing? Ladies, how do you know a guy really loves you? Don't You don't need to answer that. I'll answer it for you. You know when he asks you to marry him. Before that, it's all just talk. It's all just talk. You know when he's willing to empty his bank account to buy you a little ring and a little rock that sits on your finger. You know when he's willing to say no to every other woman on the globe just so that he can have only you. That's how you know a guy loves you. He's willing to give up everything to get you. How can we know that our legacy is secure? The God who made everything and owns everything spent all that he had. The only thing that you cannot make more of God emptied the bank of heaven to get you, his only begotten son. God became a man and offered his own life. He sacrificed his own life. He laid it down willingly for you. What this means is when you look at the cross... When you look at the cross and you see the Son of God hanging there, God is saying, He is saying very clearly, as clearly as He possibly can, I am willing to give this much, I am willing to give this much to secure my beloved. How can you know your legacy is secure? Would your God who gave up everything, who gave up everything to have you, turn around and let you slip through his fingers. Would he do that? Never. Never. Your God will not let you go. When you understand this, when you understand that your legacy as a believer is secured, secured by the love of Christ, you will have great confidence as you walk in this life. Probably some of you, many of you may know a friend who proposed to a girl way out of his league. Uh, I know, I have friends like this. Maybe I am one. I am one. Just imagine this guy, he's, he's awkward. He's not particularly smart. He's not particularly handsome. He's not particularly talented. But he asked this girl to marry him who's beautiful. She's well loved. She's well respected. She's talented. She's a complete package. 
And what happens to that guy? What happens to him? When she says yes, his confidence goes to the roof. He's, I have nothing to prove anymore. I may not be tall. I may not be smart. I may not be handsome. I don't have a particularly good career. But she loves me. She loves me. She said yes. And what happens, his insecurity, his fear melts away. He's not trying to prove himself anymore. He has nothing to prove. She loves me. As Christians, we often wonder, what if? What if I fall into sin? What if I can't handle the pressures of my job? What if my health deteriorates? What if my reputation is destroyed? What if I live a forgettable life? What if I make myself look like a fool? And you you remember Jim, who I mentioned at the beginning. Jim will battle every day for the rest of his life to secure his legacy. He is working desperately to make a name for himself. But as long as it's about him, it will never be safe. It will never be secure. But Christian, you have nothing to fear. You are engaged to the living God. And and guess what? He is out of your league. He is so far out of your league. He has set his love on you, and he will not get cold feet. Our God does not get cold feet. He does not back out of the marriage supper of the Lamb. You are his beloved. So let me just close with this from Romans 8.38. It's a very familiar verse. Paul is, is saying exactly what I'm telling you now. He says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? Let's pray. Lord, it is wonderful to be a Christian. Not because we're so great, but because like David, Lord, you set your love on us. And you will not Let us slip through your fingers. You've given it all. And just as David failed, Lord, we have failed. And we will fail again. But you are good, and you will not abandon us. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for securing us as your beloved. Help us now to walk with confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, our God, our Savior, our friend, and our husband-to-be.
We lift all this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.